0: In this next um, teaching that I have for you, I, um, let me just find it here. Um, I taught for the first time just last week. Um, We had our first ever with intentional, um, what we call the motherhood conference. And um, I felt like as I was praying, what I was supposed to share what parts of my stories and knowing some of the culture of motherhood these days that once again I felt like God calling me to be really honest and to tell a story that I've never really told anybody. My husband has heard lots of snatches. um, But for the first time, I put down some really hard things um, that were hard to talk about and hard to say, And I felt like God was just compelling me to do this out of obedience. And um, so this is the first time, second time sharing it. And if I can keep myself from sobbing all the way through, um, it will be kind of a miracle because this is still pretty raw for me. Some of you um, listening, I just want to warn you that if you have some um, hurts hidden deep down inside of you to just hold on tight, um, be patient as you're listening if things start to come up because, unfortunately, in this broken the world that we are living in, real hurts happen when we're young and as we get older. And at some point in our life, we have to go back and revisit those places, try and find where God was in the midst of it. Um, when I was just a little girl, I wanted to be just like my mom. My mom was so beautiful to me. She had perfect skin and this lovely pointy nose. You know, I got my dad's little kind of snub nose. And her eyes would just sparkle when she was happy. And her hands were small and delicate. She always smelled good, took care of herself. And she read stories. She'd snuggle me next to her on the sofa, and I'd breathe in her scent and her crispy starched blouse, and listening to the cadence of her voice. I've always loved stories, and I think a lot of it was just being snuggled up to my mom and listening to her. For a while, she was my brother's Cub Scout leader, and she wore that uniform like a model, navy blue pencil skirt, white button-down blouse with a navy and yellow scarf tied around her neck to just bring it all together. And on the occasional, we weren't believers for a long time, on the occasional Sundays that our family would go to church, she'd pull her gorgeous hat boxes down from the top of the closet, and she'd pin her hat on just so, and she wore kid gloves. My mom wanted to be a good mom. I know that as the truest of truths now. The list of good mom stuff she did sounds like a job description for a Proverbs 31 woman, honestly. We always had homemade cookies in our lunch. In fact, we could trade one of her homemade cookies for a whole bag of store-bought Oreos or Fig Newtons. Those were my favorites. She made a real dinner every night. Every single night. And she set the table and it was always beautiful, usually seasonal. For many years, she made most of my clothes, all of my prom dresses. For one of my proms, she made me a little pillow out of the scraps from a dress that she'd made me. She was organized and efficient. Get this. She never cleaned out a closet or a drawer in her life because she always put away things where they belonged. (sighs) I certainly didn't inherit that, gene. People were drawn to my mom's charisma. My friends laughed at her often biting humor. She went to every one of my brother's soccer games, always bringing a big Tupperware of her homemade cookies, knowing everybody by name. They loved her. I wish I could command my mind to remember my mom for all that good. And I am grateful there's no doubt about it. If not for her example and for her training, I wouldn't be able to work hard. With any sort of moderate efficiency, I certainly wouldn't accomplish much. But when my mind goes back to memories growing up, all those good deeds are scattered like debris after a hurricane. A good memory here, another over there caught in a tree, but rubble and wreckage everywhere. By the time I was in high school, And even into adulthood, I vacillated between hating my mom and piteously trying to please her. Because for all her good deeds and all her intentions and all her wanting to be a good mom, she left devastation in her wake. As hard as I've tried to bury those pictures, to forgive and forget, they're still there, throbbing with hurt and with rejection. The truth is, my mom didn't like me, and she let me know it every day. Last week, when I was spoke, speaking for our own conference, right before me, I'd had a speaker go on, and it was a friend, and um, she was talking about how her mom was her biggest fan, and still her biggest fan. And I just sat there, just feeling like, I don't want to be that little girl whose mom didn't like her. She wanted me to be like her, efficient, fast, linear, get-it-done kind of a woman. Instead, I had my head in the clouds. I was a dreamer. My nose was always buried in a book. If my head wasn't attached, I'd forget that too. Sarcasm and ridicule were her normal ways of correcting me because I deserved it. Get off your duff, what is wrong with you? When I'd cry, you're oversensitive, crybaby. When i tried try to apologize, she'd say, it's easy to say you're sorry and walk away. And once, right as I was in the midst of puberty and feeling my ugliest, I hiked my skirt up above my knees. Mini skirts were all the rage in the 60s. As she went after me, I trudged to school in the seventh grade, with the label slut ringing in my ears. But it was her rage that left my little girl's soul bloodied and battered. Suddenly, it seemed to me, at least, I couldn't see warning signs. She'd just go off, yelling and swinging whatever was near. A hairbrush, her purse, the back of her hand. In her rage she tore me apart with her words. Defining me. Naming me. Planting noxious weeds in my soul. What the Bible calls curses. She cursed me for being shy. Shoved me for moving so slow. Ridiculed me for crying. Berated me for missing spots of dust. When doing my chores. Or letting my shoes pile up haphazardly. At the bottom of my closet. Every misstep triggered her vicious temper. I can't erase those pictures now. My whole body tenses just talking about them. I don't want it to be true. Though she never hurt me in the sense of leaving marks or bruises, I'd see her face change from beautiful to ugly just like that. My stomach would clench, and I'd cower, trying to make myself small, which made her even more furious, more ridicule, more disgust. And then when I was 17, my mom apologized to me. We were all brand new to following Jesus, and she'd been to a lovely women's retreat. See why I love women's retreats and love women? And she said those magic words, Die, it's not your fault. And she went on to explain about her angry, abusive father. And in tears told me she didn't want to be like him. And she was so, so sorry. Her apology felt to my soul like cold water on a sweltering day. It's not your fault. It's ringing in my ears. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And she tried to change she did try and change, and she did change. But nobody was talking about emotional health and trauma back then. And according to my mom, only crazies went to counseling. And so the pressures would build inside of her, and she'd explode all over again, and she didn't know why. She never knew why. I bring you this story this morning raw, with all sorts of convoluted feelings. Shame that I'm the little girl whose mom didn't like her, mixed with all those lies that dog my everydays. Fear that I may be dishonoring my mother by telling her story or discounting in some way all the good she dis- did by describing the harm. And relief, honestly, has been a surprising release. As if by saying it out loud, you can know the real me, the one that God redeemed. But over all that, I feel hope because I know in the bottom of my soul with deep conviction that God uses truth to bring light into the hurting spaces of our life. Truth. We can't hide the truth. God just doesn't use truth. He uses honesty in all its raw awkwardness. Before I tell you more of my story and my journey of learning to forgive my mom and learning to pursue healing, I hope that's a box of Kleenex, thank you. (laughs) I should have thought. Uh, um, I wanna speak to the fear that many of us, maybe all of us, Raised in a home where things weren't perfect, which is everybody's home. The fear that most of us carry. Many of you in this room, you can relate to my story. You've been really hurt by somebody in your life. And you are terrified of repeating the patterns that you were raised in. And that so easily get paid, passed on from generation to generation. Maybe you are the first one in your family to hold boldly break the cycles of generational sin or dysfunction or addiction or whatever else could be involved. That is brutally hard and heroic work. If that's you, may I just tell you, I think the Father is so proud of you for doing that work. Like me, you started from behind. Here's the truth. As moms, as people as grandmothers, as wives, as friends. You are going to mess up. I am going to mess up. I have messed up. So have you. You're going to wound your kids in some way. In our ministry with intentional parents, I'm seeing these ruptures in really good Christian homes between generations, where no one is invited to talk about how we hurt them. As well-meaning as we may have been in our parenting, there's stuff between us. Maybe not to the extent of the anger that I experienced growing up, but there's stuff, there's woundedness, ruptures. There's a beautiful phrase used by therapists and psychologists and counselors, which I believe sums up the gospel solution to that stuff between us, between generations. It's this, rupture and repair builds resilience. And it is specifically talking about relational resilience, continuing on in good relationship with each other. We will have ruptures in our relationships, sometimes on a daily basis if you're raising littles, sometimes hourly. We will lose our tempers, all of us. We will be distracted now by our phones and all the stuff going on in our lives, the too much that makes up, make up our everyday's. days. We will not be perfect. But when we are willing to make repairs, those very hurts become places of a deeply safe connection. It may be as simple as, I am so sorry, honey, for how I hurt you. I wish I hadn't done that, said that, wish I hadn't been that way. The reality is that shame marinates in a lack of forgiveness, and then causes distance between us, insurmountable at times. But relationships flourish in an abundance of humility. At various points of our lives, we have to ask ourselves then the painful and freeing question, who do I need to forgive? If we're not going to pass this on to the next generation, Who do I need to forgive? Many years ago, when my firstborn, John Mark, was just a baby, I had this beautiful, gentle mentor. I mentioned her last night, Muriel Cook. She's now with Jesus, no doubt, absolutely delighting in his presence. And she became, for me, the spiritual mother that my mom couldn't be, didn't know how to be. And she said something to me that I will never forget, changed the course of my life. She said, Diane... You must forgive your mom, or you'll become just like her. Meryl gave me the gift of a word picture that has helped me in my struggles to forgive my mom and everyone else who has bumped against my bruises and hurts for the last 40 years. Her word picture enabled me, in the midst of my mom, continuing to make her jabs, her criticism, her judgments against me, enabled me to be able to be okay with what was not okay. And I'm just going to pass this on to you because it has helped not only me but both of my daughters and so many people everyone. I think I think we're all going to go running to Mur- Muriel Cook when we get to heaven and we're going to say thank you for this. This is what she said. We forgive with our will. It is a decision that we make because we love God and we have lined our hearts with his. But then she sighed, groping for words as she thought of those she was struggling still to forgive. Muriel had wounds from a very severe, very critical, very religiously self-righteous mom. It's like winter on the Oregon coast. Big storms every year throw debris up on the beach. Entire trees ripped out of their roots. Logs need to be cleared up every spring. At spring break, big groups and families spend spring break cleaning up the Oregon beaches. Forgiving with the will is when you take that log of that person who's hurt you with tremendous struggle blood, sweat, and tears, and you push it out into the ocean. So just picture that. You're on the beach. There's this big, ugly, rotten log that's impeding your joy. And with blood, sweat, and tears, with your will, with a decision you make, you push that log out into the ocean. You wipe your hands off, and you turn around to go home, and you're relieved. I forgave. But that log hits the breakers and comes tumbling back up onto shore. Maybe not quite as far this time, but it's back in your life. She explained to me that we can make the decision to forgive with our will, but that does not automatically mean that our emotions cooperate or agree. It's not that we haven't forgiven. Remember this. It's not that you haven't forgiven. It's that our feelings are lagging a few steps, Sometimes a few miles, it seems like, behind our choice to forgive. So we push that log out again with our will, and it comes back again. Those feelings roll back to shore and threaten to squash us. Sometimes at that point, we despair. I thought I'd forgiven that wrong. What is wrong with me? And actually, we have. Every time we push that log out to sea, it floats a little further out and a little further out and a little further out until it eventually hits a channel and off it goes, never to be seen again. And we'll wake up one morning and we'll realize, I'm not angry anymore. I don't hate that person anymore. In fact, there's actually room in my heart for compassion, not excuses, never excuses, but for compassion. The resentments and the bitterness is gone. I'm free of the hold it once had on me. And please hear this. Forgiving is not a one-time deal. It's messy. Forgiving is layered. We want to make it this neat, tidy formula. This is not the method of forgiving that most of us has been taught. Just forgive and forget. Did you know that our brains are actually incapable of forgetting anything? Everything you've ever experienced is stored somewhere in your brain. It may not be in the frontal cortex where we act and we live, but it's stored back there somewhere. You cannot forgive and forget. Forgiving someone who hurt you is not simplistic. It is never easy, but it's always an essential component to our apprenticeship, apprenticeship to Jesus, to our listening to him to our intimacy with him. I speak, spent most of my adult life, honestly, pushing that log of hurt from my mom out to sea, forgiving her again and again and again. And that log got further and further out until I brought her into my home to die. She'd been kicked out. My dad had passed away. He was like... An amazing hero in my life. But my dad had passed away. She was in an assisted living place and she'd been kicked out because she was causing problems with the staff and residents. It was so bizarre sitting in front of the head nurse as she told me that my mom was badgering the staff and she was being belligerent and she needed to leave. I felt like I was in the principal's office and my child was being expelled from school. It was just humiliating. I was crying. It was just like, oh, mom. And on a Sunday morning, they gave me a month to find a place to put her in. They knew she'd be hard to place. And on a Sunday morning early, I was reading my Bible, wrestling with the problem, wrestling with the decision, Lord, what do we do what do we do? I, I I don't want to put her in a locked facility where they'll have to drug her heavily to make her okay with the staff. All of a sudden, pouring out my heart, I sense the Spirit inviting me, and this is what I've learned about Him: He issues invitations way more often. I used to think it was all about obeying His commands. I don't think so anymore. I think our Father issues invitations. He says, I I have something for you. You don't have to. I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't accept it. But here's an invitation. And I sensed him inviting me to consider bringing my mom into our home. And I heard these words, wrote them down. Die. This is an invitation to die a deeper death. And I've learned after many years of leaning in to listen that we often mishear God. Which is why confirmation is when needed, when listening for direction especially. And my daughter Elizabeth had said to me, um, just maybe a few months before, when mom was really troubled and we were struggling to figure out what to do with, she said, mom, just look me in the eye. She said, mom, whatever you do, do not let grandma move in with you. And then she said, she'd eat you alive. (laughs) I said, okay, okay, I would never, I would never have grandma move in with me. So I'm hearing this invitation, knowing I need to seek counsel, knowing I was not going to ask Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to Phil first because, you know, he he knew my mom well. And he said, yes, absolutely, We, we need to do this. And then I went to a friend that I worked with for many years, and she tells me the absolute truth. I was absolutely certain Jody would say, no, you're crazy, don't do this. This is. She had someone who explained to me the cycle of abuse. If you haven't heard of that, it's in an abusive relationship, the abused person thinks that the abuser hurt her, therefore the um, abuser has to heal her. And it's just something convinced, something in our little girl's souls that just says my mom or your boyfriend or your husband or somebody hurt you, and that's the person who has to put you back together again. And she had explained all that to me, and I was trying to say, is this just me trying to, to finally get my mom's approval? And I'm really asking God to show me. So I went to Jody. sure, she would tell me no. And she said, I think the better question is, will, will you be sorry if you didn't? She thought I ought to do it. And I'd love to tell you that it was just wonderful, that it was so healing, that we just did great. It was awful. It was just terrible. She was awful. She was miserable. She was beginning to lose what filters she still had left from Alzheimer's and wouldn't let me get a diagnosis. And she complained constantly. She told neighbors that we were holding her prisoner. It was one of the hardest things. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I couldn't please her. We had this amazing blessing in the middle of it. Simona, who is um, my youngest son's wife, my daughter-in-law. We call her Sweet Simona at our house because that best describes this woman. And she comes from an immigrant, a Romanian immigrant family. And the Romanians are very... um, skillful at caring for aging people, and she was in between jobs, and, and we hired her to be my mom's caretaker, so I could keep working. I was writing a book, and the book that the Raising Intentional, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers, I don't know the name of my book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we hired her 30 hours a week to be a companion and a helper for my mom, and My mom loved Simona. Simona, whatever Simona said was right. So I pretty much manipulated and went through Simona for pretty much anything. But four months into her stay with us, she had a massive stroke in the middle of the night. I found her in the morning. I knew it had been a few hours because she was cold, and I got her up on the bed and called hospice right away. We'd been already talking to hospice, and... She stayed. She was still in her home, and she was alert for about four days, and then she slipped into a coma. Still in her home with hospice, and sweet Simona helping me care for her. But something happened as she lay there. There, this is why his invitations are so precious. I would normally never recommend that an abusive situation like I endured as a child and as an adult that you bring your Parent home to live with you. There are much better solutions, trust me. But this was an invitation to me, not guilt tripping. I'm not even sure mom wanted to come live with me. She just didn't want to go other places. But something happened as she lay there, unable to respond, her body slowly giving up. The hospice people said it would be about two weeks, most likely, and it was exactly two weeks. As I rubbed her crackled skin with lotion and trickled water into her lips with a sponge and tried to change her diaper the first few days with as much dignity as I could give my mom, grieving that she never gave me the approval that I craved, God began in that room that smelled like death to begin to heal me in the deepest crevices of my soul and to free me From the resentment that still lingered, little snatches, little spots, little hidden places where resentment seemed to still pop up. The deeper death that I'd heard the Spirit inviting me in to was unbeknownst to me, really, a deeper level of healing. Some of you right here need that kind of healing. Someone has hurt you badly. Your mom your dad, your sister, a friend, an old boyfriend, a boss, your husband, someone who you should have been safe with, someone who should have understood you, liked you, loved you, someone who should have cared and didn't. And those wounds keep coming up at the most inconvenient moments, don't they? You find yourself welling up with anger, with hurt that just takes your breath away. You sob, ugly tears. You yell at your kids or you go ballistic and you don't know why. And I want to invite you to experience the kind of healing that only Jesus offers, honestly. Your therapist or a godly counselor can help you see things more clearly, can help you diagnose the problem, so to speak. Your husband Or your friend can hold you and listen and offer encouragement. But only Jesus, trust me, only Jesus has the power to reach down into your heart and bring freedom. And let me just add this kind of freeing forgiveness. Freeing forgiveness does not require full reconciliation with the one who hurt you. That is really important for you to know. Sometimes that is not safe. Sometimes that is not wise. You can forgive someone and keep them at a distance so that the hurt doesn't just keep using you as its victim. You can even love that person from a distance. But Jesus asks something of you because he knows it's the only way. He asks you to forgive that one who hurt you, just as Christ and God forgave you. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Remember, he, he told us to forgive even our enemies, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This is the only way you'll ever be able to live into the verse before. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander that's talking behind someone's back as well as all types of evil behavior. For some of you, maybe right now in this moment, the closest you can get to forgiveness is to say to God, honestly, I want to want to forgive. But right now that doesn't feel safe or true. doesn't feel authentic to me. One thing I know and love about God with absolute certainty, that Jesus is patient. With your weakness. He just asks you to be willing. It's safe for you to simply say, I want to want to forgive. Help me in my inability and my unbelief. For some of you, that is a huge step. For some of you right now, you're called alongside somebody who is struggling to even take that step. Cheer them on, give them courage. Let be there with them. Don't simply say, oh, you just need to forgive it. It's not that easy. Forgiveness is not the same thing as healing, but it is the beginning of true healing. I've been set free from those claustrophobic feelings of hurt. But hurts rooted in my mom's rejection of me over a lifetime still come up at odd and inconvenient moments. Last summer, our whole family Every other year we do, we call it Camp Comer, and everybody comes, and we spend a week together. We went to Black Butte, which is kind of on the east side of the Cascade Range. It's a beautiful place. And one evening, we were having a girls' night, and we were having so much fun together. We were talking, and we were laughing. And as Comers are intense, we're all intense people. We were getting intense and going deep. And one of my daughters said something... I don't even remember what it was or what it was about, but it brought up again right to the surface surface all those horrible feelings seemingly out of nowhere. I misheard my daughter, who had no rejection of me in mind, and I couldn't stop crying. I could hardly breathe. That's what a trauma response looks like. And somewhere in the logical side of my brain, I thought... This is a trauma reaction. Just stop this, Ty, but you just can't. My body just reverted right back to that little girl, back to the corner with my mom coming after me. Hurt lingers. A few weeks later, I joined a beautiful group. I don't know if you're familiar with it here. It's called Mending the Soul. And it is... uh, created by two uh, graduates of Western University, at conservative um, seminary in, in Portland. And it really is exactly what it says. For those of us who need our soul to be mended, to sti- be stitched back together again, join one of those groups. Um, if you don't know about that, really look that up. It's, really, it's very church-friendly. Um, we've done it in our church. And now I'm once again seeing a counselor who specializes in trauma to keep my healing moving forward. I do not want to be that woman who's stuck and everybody has to be careful around me because we don't want to bring up mom's past hurt. I want to be healed and I want to be whole. And I tell you this, I open my heart to you because I suspect some of you need to do the same. You need healing. And it's not going to be easy. It's not simple like forgive and forget. I know you have a, a woman counselor here um, who, who meets with women and helps walk women through this kind of thing. Highly recommend. Don't hold it down. You don't want it to keep coming up at those inconvenient moments. And We're going to take a few minutes right now to practice what I've talking, been talking about. And if you're not ready for this right now, that is absolutely fine. We have to be in a place where we're ready to forgive, and I believe the Spirit is so patient with us. Even knowing that we want to want to forgive, he's already stepped into your orbit to begin to help you. And Remembering that forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation or the same thing as fully healing from those wounds, but it is the beginning of healing. I suspect that I will spend the rest of my life healing. And I suspect that I will spend the rest of my life helping other women to heal from their hurts. You know, I love that about Second Corinthians 1. It's that whole section that talks about how God will actually use our hurts, our difficulties, all trials, the way our life has been messed up and abused and hurt in order to help or afflicted to help someone else in any affliction because we bring the hope of Jesus, the only true healer. So right now, I want to invite you to just close your eyes for just a moment. And if you want to come up with me, that would be good. You know, I've, I'll be gone. You will hear my story. I'll be gone tomorrow afternoon. But you have this group of women around you that are going to stay part of your life, stay in it for the long haul. Just like I've had a group of women who know all the details now after sharing what I could and are committed to staying around me. I want to invite you to close your eyes and just get into a comfortable position. Maybe just put your feet on the floor. Just God gave us our bodies and an awareness because our bodies sometimes need to tell us things that we've been ignoring. And just take a deep breath. Just telling this story. I can tell that I've been breathing really shallow. Because that's just the way our bodies do. Take a deep breath. Pay attention to any tension you might be feeling in your body. When you think about that person. Or those people. That are coming to mind. That you know God is asking you to Forgive. Just for a minute, you're not wallowing in it. You're just allowing your body to be part of your soul and spirit, a whole person. In the Greek, there's a word telos. That means a whole, flourishing, working together person. Your body and your soul and your spirit are working together Maybe you feel some tightness in your chest or your throat is suddenly all dry or your stomach is clenched. Just pay attention. Just notice it and keep taking deep breaths. Your body is trying to tell you something that you've tried to ignore. I am the queen of pushing it all down inside. And then we don't want, Jesus does not want us to be faking it through our lives. Remember, God made us whole people. Now, I want you to envision yourself on that beach that I talked about. You're standing in front of that log, and it looks awful, slimy, way too big. And you don't want anything to do with it. You just want to run up closer to the shore and just leave it laying right there. You don't want to face it. I understand. It's hard to face it. Jesus, he's standing right next to you. He is with you. Don't forget that. Jesus is with you. Just envision that for a moment. Because Jesus is the reason we even can forgive, isn't it? Without him, how could we? Jesus is the reason that we have hope of redemption. Do you know the word salvation? Salvation is also the exact same Greek word is translated several spots in our Bible as healing, physical healing, because the two are so intertwined. Salvation and healing are intertwined. Jesus came to be our healer. And I don't just mean of our physical brokenness, but of our internal soul brokenness. Jesus is the reason we do not have to live in shame. I do not have to live in shame. My mom did not have to hold herself in with shame. She did, but now she's free. She's in the presence of Jesus. And all those lies my mom believed about others and about herself have been washed away in the love of Jesus. Jesus is the reason we can live into the freedom of who he created us to be no longer crippled by the hurts inflicted on us by others. I do not want my hurts to define me or to limit me or limit my kids around me. Because of what he did on the cross, we are a new creation in him. Now, if you can, I want you to just picture yourself rolling that ugly, slimy, heavy, dirty log out to sea. It's hard, but we do it with our will. It's okay that our emotions are still not quite there. We do it with our will. We choose. We choose to forgive. And then we watch as the tide carries it out, one wave at a time. Can we just take a minute? Jesus, I know in this room, there's hardly a woman here that isn't thinking of somebody she has to forgive. Some of them are just horrendous, unspeakable sins against her. Some are more those everyday hurts that just build up over a lifetime. Somebody who shamed us or didn't value us or rejected us. Maybe it was a friend who wasn't loyal to you. Maybe it was a husband who wasn't faithful to you. We choose, Lord Jesus, to forgive that person because we want to be women who walk in freedom. And Father, I just thank you that you sent your Son to set us absolutely free to do the impossible. And I thank you that you send your Spirit to bring healing. I pray that even in this room right now that your Spirit would be free to do the healing that needs to begin to happen in this church, Lord. This is a church filled with women who love you and who really honestly love each other. Not just enjoy each other, but love as defined by Willing the good of the other. Lord, thank you for bringing these women to this church. I pray that you would just use each other, this community of believers, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring instruction, to bring help, to break the loneliness of those who have been hurt, and to increase the trust by loving each other well. Thank you for Christina, Lord that you have put women on her heart, a love for women on her heart. Lord, thank you for that. That Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that is really rare. I pray that you would just empower her servant leadership to this group of women and this whole team of women who serve each other so well. Lord, I pray that there would be freedom to share each other's stories without shame. Pray that we as a people would just delight in being yours, your beloved, made the way you want us to be. Would you raise us up whole again as we forgive? In Jesus' name.